Give everything you have to Jesus with lifted hands. If you have your copy of God's Word, I would love for you to turn to the book of Titus, chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 5 through 9. And as Jeremy kind of let the cat out of the bag, we're talking about elders again. Um, That's okay. We're talking about elders, and uh, we're really talking about gospel-purposed leaders. That's really what we're talking about. They're elders, pastors, overseers, all kinds of synonyms in the Bible for them. But we need gospel-purposed leaders. So let's read this passage. Follow along as I read verses 5 through 9. Paul is writing the word of the Lord. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone and, as I directed you, to appoint elders in every town. An elder must be blameless. The husband of one wife with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. As an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful message as taught, so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the structure that you have established in your word for your church, the plurality of elders, men who are spiritually committed to your gospel, men who want to serve your gospel with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their mind. And I thank you for the instructions you give here to Titus of what... An elder should strive for, seek to live out these things. So guide us this morning, Father, by your Spirit as we talk about gospel purpose leaders. We need your help, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Anyone ever been a leader of something? Got been put in charge of something, even if you were surprised, you all of a sudden had the mantle of leadership? Most of us probably have. We may, not, we may not have been formally in some sort of office. We may not have been given some particular position. But a lot of times we find ourselves in those positions. So how did you know what to do? How did you figure out how to lead? Sometimes it's difficult. But in the case of the church, this passage tells us how we can lead, tells us how we can serve the church. So Paul went to Crete, the island of Crete in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, probably after his first Roman imprisonment. He took Titus with him, and he left Titus there to go other places in Europe and Asia. And so he left him there, and now Paul's writing to him, and he's giving him some pretty clear instructions of what to do. And right up front, he talks about elders. So Titus stayed on Crete, and he stayed to put the churches there in order, to put the churches in order specifically appointing elders. That was one of the main things he he wanted him to do, first of all. And you know what we're going to find from this passage is that leaders of any church must make the clear gospel message their focus and their guiding truth when they're leading in all the ministries of the church. The gospel has to be the center point. So how does the gospel create leaders, spiritual leaders in the church. How does the gospel manifest itself in a spiritual leader's life? Well, 
The gospel changes people so that the gospel can keep changing people. That's the whole point. Jesus left us here to replicate that, to keep producing and sending the gospel out through other people. It replicates leaders to replicate the message. That's the purpose, and that's what it's going to do. First of all, point number one, the gospel pur purpose leader starts with the gospel. It's pretty simple. Verses 5 through 8, I'm going to read them again. Understand, nobody can do any of these things without the gospel changing their heart. Okay? So I know some of us feel really overwhelmed when we read lists like this. Me being one of them. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone. And as I directed you to point elders in every town. An elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. As an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled. Wow. That's a list, isn't it? So, like, like I said, Paul left Titus there to kind of install elders. And he says in every town, because there must have been a church in every town, Crete was known historically to have lots of towns. So it's, a, it's a, not a huge island, but it's big enough to have multiple towns. And so as a leader, it is good to have clear purposes. And Titus had that purpose. He's like, Paul told me to go put elders in place. So appointing pastors was job number one to set the churches right, to get them back on track or get them on track. See, God ordains this structure for a church to have elders in charge, that plurality of elders leading a church. He wants men to lead the church, but he wants the right men to lead the church. And that's where we get here, the qualifications. So here he gives these lists. Now, there's a list in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. The lists are a little bit different, but one doesn't counteract the other one. Okay, one doesn't eliminate something in the other one. If it's, if it's not in this list and it's in that list, it still applies. Okay, they don't have to be compared. There's just a few differences anyway. All these qualifications are crucial for a gospel purpose leader. But none of these traits are possible plausible or doable without the soul change that comes from Jesus Christ. Okay? We can't do this without Jesus. We can't do this without the Holy Spirit. Only by the heart change that's brought by the Holy Spirit, when we believe in Jesus Christ, can any of these any of these be lived out in any kind of consistent fashion. We have to be regenerated. These are not some thing you can do on your own. Even as a Christian, you can't go over here and decide I'm going to be all these things without the help of the Holy Spirit. Remember, Paul told Timothy, it's a noble task for someone to pursue to be an elder, an overseer, or a pastor. It's a noble task. However, it doesn't mean that someone that wants it is automatically qualified. He's got to be compared to these things that are listed here. Unless he has these traits, he's not qualified. And so I want right now today, right here, to kind of elaborate on each of these qualities. I didn't do that with the, the passage in 1 Timothy, but I'm going to do this here because I feel led that we need to we need to get a good grip on this as we move forward toward elder leadership in our church whenever that happens. I want everybody to understand what's going on. I'm going to explain them and I'm going to apply them all in the same at one at a time. And I'll give you kind of a Bible passage. We're not going to read it, but I'll just refer it and I'll kind of summarize it. But you can write these down and go look them up and study them later because I think if we don't study Scripture over these traits, 
we're kind of running off our rails a little bit. So first he says a pastor or elder must be blameless. Blameless, which means beyond reproach, unaccusable. Can't bring charges against him. Or you bring a charge and it's quickly dismissed because he didn't do it. Regarding any of these traits, we need to make sure we're blameless and, and seek to be innocent of sinful attitudes and actions. That's what an elder needs to do. And if you're caught in a sinful action or attitude as an elder, you need to repent and confess as quick as you can. Because repenting and confessing is an act of faithfulness. All right? We need to get over the fact that that sounds like it's some sort of penalty box for us. It's not. Repentance and confession are required by God's word. He says, first, he must be fully devoted to his wife. And doesn't, this doesn't exclude divorcees, okay? Husband of one wife means a one-woman man. His wife is his only focus. His wife is the only woman he has any desire to be around. He's solely committed to her alone. Now, this does not mean that you need to be married to be an elder. This does not mean that you need to have children to be an elder, Okay? That's, that's, that's a, a reverse application, and that's not the way this, this works. It just means if you are married and if you do have children, these rules apply. If he has children at home, and I emphasize that, at home, they must faithfully obey their parents consistently. I'm not talking grown children, and we've seen some in our lives some of the stuff our grown children may do. But this only applies to children who are still under parental authority at home. They must be, not be uncontrollable, is another word there. They must not be blatantly disrespectful. You must take care of them and, and lead them incorrectly. To their parents and even to adults, they must behave appropriately. Yes, it is very important for an elder, pastor, overseer to discipline properly his family. It's, it's, it's God's word. And as he, he said in Timothy, how can you manage God's house if you can't manage your own house? So we must work at it. We must work at managing. We must work at it managing our home. Okay? It's not something that you just are going to assume that it's going to happen. Okay? You must, you must work at it. Put some effort into it. Take some time to think about it. There's plenty of helps out there to lead a Christian family. And also, you got the Holy Spirit. Now, this does not mean to rule with an iron fist. This does not mean an elder must, must be hard on his family, but he must discipline with love. Paul tells the Ephesians, don't exasperate your children. Manage them in love and instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6, 4, be careful not to exasperate them. I hope that's clear. If you've got any questions about, any questions about that particular qualification, come see me. Next, Paul repeats the blameless requirement and he lists negative and positive qualities. Ones to avoid, ones to do. So he, he's basically saying, be blameless by this method. Be not arrogant. Be not arrogant. The word literally means, in the Greek, don't be obstinately self-willed, pleasing himself only. Don't be this way. Nothing or no one else pleases him except himself. He does not care to please anyone else but himself. Only his opinions matter. Only his way matters. And his way or the highway is his attitude. That is arrogance. He is overbearing. He is unkind. He is ungentle in his treatment of other people. 
We don't need elders like that. We don't need men like that, okay? We don't need human beings like that. So how do you be not arrogant? How do you not be arrogant? Well, be less me-focused and more other-focused. That's, that's a good start. Don't focus on yourself so much. And remember your identity in Christ, who you are in Jesus Christ as a born-again believer. You do not have to stand up for yourself. God takes care of that. You do not have to always be inserting your resume in every conversation. That's what an arrogant man does. Let God take care of you, and you take care of others. In, in Philippians 2, 3, Paul says, Think of others more highly than yourselves. Now, that's an application to all of us, okay? Not just to elders. But elders are going to have to do it a little more face-to-face -face with people. Be not hot-tempered. This is not your flare-up of temper. This is not your momentary frustration. This word actually means someone who nurtures their anger. They, they keep it at a low simmer all the time, ready to spring it on somebody, okay? It's something that they love. They love to be angry. They hold their anger in to pour it out on somebody who crosses them, somebody who comes against them, someone who just disagrees with them sometimes. They're mad at the world constantly. You probably know people like this. If they're unbelievers, that's another whole story. We've got to wait for God to change their heart. But a believer should not hold grudges. We shouldn't. We shouldn't hold grudges. So how do you keep from being hot-tempered? How do you keep from being like this? You've got to let things go. You've got to let things go. You've got to let grievances go, some offenses go. You have to overlook some of those. Proverbs, I mean, Proverbs talks about that. James 1, 19 through 22, he says, we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger, man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. We need to be that way. That's how you become less hot-tempered. He says, be not an excessive drinker. Well, I think Baptists pretty ha have that cornered sometimes because we don't drink. At least we say we don't. But this is not just really alcohol or drugs, although those apply. It's not just talking about alcohol and drugs. But in most uses of this Greek word, it means an outrageous conduct, like an unreasonable person. gets Their, their reactions to things is just over the top all the time. That's really, the Christians actually in the early centuries used this word to describe the people who crucified Jesus. They were an excessive drunk. Their behavior is out of control. Even if they're sober or they're unimpeded by some foreign substance, they're still out of control. That's what this word really means. It implies an irrational and silly response and reaction to things. So how do you not be this way? Well, don't let anything rule over you. Don't let anything have charge of your life. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians 6.12, he tells us, don't let anything master you. Don't let anything take your freedom in Christ away from you by you serving it. Whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's money, whether it's a job, whether it's you know, fill in the blank. Jesus Christ should be your master. Be not a bully. Be not a bully. I bet somebody's wishing their boss was here or somebody they know. <laughs> but this is talking about a believer, and this is talking about someone that might consider being an elder. Be not a bully. Trans, uh, other English translations say pugnacious. That's a big fancy word. Sounds English to me, but 
The word literally means to come to blows. Don't hit people. There was a, there was a period of time in the first and second, third centuries where elders, overseers, <laughs> were actually hitting people because they were sinning. They would strike them with a stick. It was kind of a, a form of symbolic, I think, punishment. But, but that's not what we're talking about here, really. We're talking about, and nowadays we're talking, and it later became to mean this, browbeating. People who verbally abuse people. People who say things to people just to make them mad or just to denigrate them. Manipulations included in this. Chastisement by verbal words is included in this. We need to understand being a bully, is a, there's a lot of ways that can manifest itself. So how do you not be a bully? Stop treating people as a threat to your position or your status. Sometimes we feel, the most bullies feel like they're threatened. That's why they bully people. Be humble. Love others. Love others in Christ. Philippians 2.14. Do things without grumbling, but graciously is what that tells us. Don't be a bully. And then he says, don't be greedy for money. We had that conversation in, in 1 Timothy when we went through there, but this word means to gain in a monetary fashion in disgraceful ways. You're willing to use schemes, scams, and shysterisms to get money. You're willing to do anything to make a profit. Do not make profit this way. It was used for someone who seeks a gain in money at any cost. They don't care what it costs. The only thing that mattered was profit, whether it was legal or not legal. And, and history books will tell you that some of the people on the island of Crete, the Cretans, were very good at this. And very, they, they held people in high esteem who did this. They were drawn to money like bees are drawn to honey, one author said. Their, their honor and honesty went out the window because they wanted to gain assets of money. And we know that loving money, the love of money, is the root of all kinds of evil. And so it has no place in the life of an elder. So how do you fight this? How do you not be greedy? Be content with what God gives you. 1 Timothy 6.6, 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Be content with what you have. Ask God for more if you need it. There's nothing wrong with that. If you need more money, ask God. Seek to change your job or whatever. But don't be greedy about it. Be content with what you have. So that's the negative traits. Okay, we got those over with the don'ts. Whew. Those are kind of easy sometimes. We're real, we're real good about not doing the nots, you know. Don't do the don'ts. The positives. Here comes the hard ones. They really are. And you didn't get the privilege of wrestling with this passage all week, okay? <laughs> this was tough. First of all, be hospitable. The word literally means lover of strangers. Lover of strangers. The Jewish custom in, in, in the Old Testament and through the whole history was a visitor to a village would come to the center of the village and wait, and someone would come and take him home with them. That's hospitality. That's, that's the word picture if you want it. That's the word picture if you want it. Be, be a lover of strangers. Spiritual care will naturally bring along physical care. It'll, it, you, you, you need to give until it hinders caring for someone else if you want some sort of measurement by it. Be generous with your possessions. We should be willing to assist others. Make them welcome and comfortable. Hospitable also carries the idea that if you see a need, you go fill a need. 
you see a need, you, you try in some way to help. may not be able to money-wise, but you might be able to help in some other way. To see a need and act on it. That's what hospitable means. So how do we be hospitable? Well, invite people into your life, into your home, into your resources and your circle of friends. Offer them aid and comfort and friendship. The best example, be like the Good Samaritan. Be like the Good Samaritan. He helped a Jew who held Samaritans in disdain. That was the, the ultimate racism back then. Be like the Good Samaritan. You can go read about him in Luke chapter 10, verses 33 through 35. Be hospitable. The next thing, love what is good. Where you think, well, that should be easy, right? I, I love good stuff. Well, let's, let's wait first and say, who determines what's good? God determines what's good. God is the determiner. He, is, he says this is good, and, this, and he gives us plenty of ideas in Scripture, okay? So just read your Bible. You will get some ideas. First of all, Micah 6, 8. Micah 6, 8. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. That's a good thing. Philippians 4, 8 tells us to think on the things that God calls noble. Think on those things. Philippians 4, 8. Seek out those things. Christ, of course, and the gospel being the ultimate good. <clears throat> An elder's love must be correlated with the love of what God loves. Okay, We need to know what God loves and we need to, we need to share that. Cherish and relish the opportunity to bring God's good into their lives. That's what loving good means. Loving what is good. So how are you going to do that? Well, first of all, seek out the good that God defines. Never rejoice in the wrong. Never rejoice in evil or calamity. Even if it's your enemies, never rejoice in that. And, and lead others to love good. Encourage them to love what is good. Do not leave ridicule, slander, or gossip unrebuked. You need to correct that. Say something. It doesn't have to be mean. It just needs to be corrected. And don't join in. Don't join in. Actively resist the urge Find the good that's out there that God says is good and elevate it. That's kind of what this, this means. Love what is good, which is hard. Be sensible. Well, I can be sensible. We'll see. Prudence might be actually a better word. Wise, wisdom, to discern and avoid what evil that's out there in disaster. Be wise, be prudent. It, this carries, the word carries a tone of like self-regulation. Like, where, where one does not allow circumstances to dictate your response. You're in the middle of something, it's kind of getting heated, or it's kind of getting uncomfortable, and your response is not self-regulated, you are not sensible. That's what the word actually kind of means. A man must cultivate this in care, with care and meditation on Christ, and with the help of the Holy Spirit. Be sensible. How do you do this? Be careful with your attitude and your actions. Be very careful. James tells us to be slow to speak and, and quick to listen and slow to speak. Well, we need to think about that in our attitude and actions. Keep emotions out of the decisions. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. Be careful with how you speak to others. Proverbs ten nineteen says, where words are many, sin is unavoidable. And if you've ever been on Twitter, it doesn't take long to find sin. Where words are many, sin is unavoidable. He who controls his lips is wise. That's what being sensible means. So, if you think you're sensible, 
Here's a good way to check that. When you come in conflict with a difficult situation or issue, how did you react? Was it sensible? That's usually how most of us are going to find out whether we've got these traits or not. Have I been sensible in the tough situations? The next one, be righteous. Now, Christ's righteousness as a believer already cloaks you. You are covered in Christ's righteousness. He's imputed Christ's righteousness in your life as a believer in Jesus Christ. That, that takes care of heaven, okay? This is living out your life here on planet Earth. This is your behavior in the world around you. A better word might be just or upright. Those might be better words to help us understand what being righteous means. Deuteronomy 12, 28, God told them to do what was right in God's eyes, in his eyes. Do what is right in his eyes. So how can I be righteous in the world today? Well, we need to make sure that our decisions, our actions, and our thoughts convey a willingness to wait and hear and follow God in all matters. We need to have that willingness to just, okay, hold on. Let's put the brakes on. Let's see what's, if there's something wrong about this. Let's see if something in Scripture helps us to understand how to deal with this. Our righteous qualities must be obvious to others. We don't want to get accused of violating these, these things because we've allowed unrighteous attitude to come into our heart. Be righteous. And then he says, be holy. Whew. That's a big word. Leviticus 19.2, God told the Israelites, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's a pretty high bar, right? Only Jesus met that bar, really. But what this is talking about is means being devout and pious toward God with a sincerity and a humility in your heart. You're set apart for truth. So don't give it lip service. Don't give worship lip service. Don't give serving God lip service. We need to have a reverence for things that God calls decent and right. Have a reverence for that. Like I said a while ago with, with what, loving what is good, lift up the good things. Hold in high esteem God Almighty. Pursue sinlessness with a deliberate effort. So how? Well, holiness points to us making a choice every day, choosing God's way over the world's ways in all of our life. In everything of life, we've got a, a moment there you get to choose. You're given that choice every day. And so you have to deliberately, deliberately set yourself apart from the world. That's what being holy is. Deliberately set yourself apart from their sinful ideas, their attitudes, their behaviors, their deeds. As God said, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And be self-controlled. Boy, we hate that word. Be self-disciplined. You even like that one less, right? Be self-controlled. It describes the man who has mastered himself. It describes the man who has mastered himself. His appetites, his desires, his urges. You have mastered that. Discipline and focus like an athlete, like a real athlete training for an event or a soldier who is training for war. There's no self-interest. There's no self-pursuits that you're using that are distracting you. By the way, this is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, okay? A lot of these are in different ways, but be self-controlled. So how are we going to do that? Well, first of all, remember that you are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come, right? So you're a new creation, so let that person control your life. Let that new creation have a say in everything you do. Choose to consult God, to live for God, to love God in all aspects of your life.
It's, it's really Christ-like self-control. Control yourself according to Christ. That's self-control. So we finished them. The gospel purpose leader must meet a tall order of traits there, okay? And like I said before, I don't want anybody to become overwhelmed by that, but it is insurmountable in our own effort, in our own energies. A leader in God's church can only accomplish these when he's changed by the Holy Spirit. That's, that's, that's the only way it's going to happen. And oh, by the way, for elder training, we will have elder training. We will help people work through these. With the, with, the, with the mindset of finding the right guys and also f- helping people maybe realize they may not be called to be an elder. But that's what will come when we move in this direction. So we need to pray. We need to pray that God will groom men for this position. We also need to pray that we can have these same traits because every believer is expected to live these out in some form or fashion. Every church needs godly leaders who are focused on the gospel because they're changed by the gospel. So let's ask God for that. Let's ask God for that. The other thing about gospel purpose leaders is they continue to tell people about the gospel. It is the, it is the center of their life. Point number two this morning, the gospel purpose leader repeats the gospel. He just keeps saying it over and over again in different ways and, and getting it into people's lives. Look what verse 9 tells us happens with a, one of these elders. He is to hold to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able to both encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. Paul tells Titus that leaders must and will hold, grasp, cling, grip it, the message of truth, the message of truth that they've been taught. And this message... I hope it's no stranger to you. I hope it's, wonder what message that is. I hope that's not happening. But if it is, I'm going to give you the clear, clear d- distinction here. It is the gospel. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin and the salvation of your heart, soul, body, and mind. That is the message of truth that they've heard. See, they didn't have a New Testament. Everything they know about the gospel was just relayed orally for the most part in this time. Repeat it. Could you go out of here today and repeat my sermon to somebody? That's what they were called to do. It's not that good of a sermon, so I wouldn't expect you to. But yeah, go out and repeat these lessons to people. And why should they have this kind of grip on the gospel? Why should they have this kind of understanding? Well, I'm glad you asked. First of all, they're called to encourage, to exhort, to improve, to motivate, to excite, to instruct by teaching others. That's what they're called to do. Every elder, every overseer must have that capability in some form or fashion. They may not stand here. They may not be in a Sunday school classroom down the hall. They may be just doing it across a table at a coffee shop, handling and helping someone handle their problems rightly. He's to find ways to teach, disciple, and lead others to love Jesus more and serve others more. And we're all called to do this. Disciples were called and made disciples to make disciples so that those folks can make disciples. Gospel purpose leaders should always be striving to communicate the gospel more and and communicating it to anyone. There's no one that this is off limits from, okay? Communicate it to anyone because you never know who might hear and who might get saved. 
all their efforts should go to making sure the gospel truth is guiding and ministering in the church to the spiritual lives of others and outside the church as well. That's one thing he's supposed to do by hanging on to God's word. The second thing is he's called to refute. Rebuke or correct or counter or deliberate or react to error. Because there's a lot of people out there that's got a misunderstanding about how the gospel works. They want to add works to the gospel. And Paul's going to address that in the remainder of this, this book. We need to engage the false teachers. We need to correct those who are maybe in the church telling, teaching wrong things, maybe outside the church spouting things. But elders are in charge of spiritually leading a church, a group of believers. And if there's people in there sharing untruth, error, they need to be corrected. In the first century, just like today, there were many other religions and, and ideas and false gospels and all kinds of stuff. And we're going we're gonna to hear some about that in Titus, but it gets even worse in the second century. And God wants leaders who will use the gospel correctly to fight off the wolves. Those who are contrary, like Mary Mary, quite contrary. They're contrary to the gospel even, to help them understand, to correct them, hopefully to bring them back or restore them or even maybe get them saved. Maybe leads them to the truth. God wants leaders to calmly and lovingly, with firmness and directness, correct the error. Calmly and lovingly, with firmness and directness, correct the error. See, God never takes lightly that people are misleading other people about the gospel, about his son's gospel. He never takes that lightly. Truth is very precious to God. He gave us an entire book of it. Truth is very precious to God. And gospel purpose leaders find ways to correct in such a way as to not violate the qualities in verses 5 through 8. Okay, We're, we're to correct, but not at the expense of those qualities in verses 5 through 8. Okay, that would, that would defeat the whole purpose. We need to be loving, kind, gentle, yet firm and direct. Gospel purpose leaders speak the gospel in a gospel-like manner. Gospel-like manner means you're offering someone a chance to be redeemed. You're obvious, obviously op- offering them a chance to be forgiven, to repent and confess of their sins. That's what we're offering them when we offer them a, in a gospel-like ma- manner. It's got to have grace, it's got to have mercy, and it's got to have Jesus in it. I mean, this is exactly what Jesus commanded before he left planet Earth. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me, he told his disciples. Therefore, because he has all authority, therefore, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you to the end of the age. That's what he told us to do. I mean, what would you think about somebody who was in a burning building and knew the way out and didn't tell anybody? Despicable, right? Well, let me tell you, brothers and sisters, you are in the burning building and you know the way out. You really do. So tell somebody, Christ Jesus came to save sinners. That's a trustworthy statement and you can say it to anybody because it is the word of God. Now, these verses were specifically written by Paul to Titus about elder selection, but as I've made clear several different times, these verses are also for us. Every believer is called to pursue these qualities, 
cultivate these attitudes. A gospel purpose leader may exhibit them more consistently than everybody else, and that's kind of where you're looking at how consistent people have been, but it applies to everyone. All of us need to work on them. God calls all believers to pursue holiness, okay? If you've never been told that, you're called to pursue holiness. The gospel has the power to justify, sanctify, and glorify our souls. And we're to use that for his kingdom. Everyone who believes in it has that ability. The gospel is... The gospel means to make you more like Jesus every day. That's what its purpose is. It's not just to give you fire insurance to get out of hell. It's meant to make you more like Jesus every day. That is the purpose of the gospel. So the question you have to ask yourself is, has the gospel really changed me? Are you growing into Christ's likeness? That's the question we need to all ask ourselves. And if you want help on what that means and what that looks like, come talk to me. I'd love to. But we need to pray that we all are and start sharing the gospel to those around us because that's what the whole thing is about. So in a, in a quick summary, Paul clearly quantifies what a godly spiritual leader must do and be. And the churches need them. They needed them back then. They need them now. And he centers that whole set on the gospel because only the gospel can make anyone fulfill those traits and those qualifications. So trust the Lord Jesus Christ with your soul and it will change. Now, did you hear some this morning that you may need to work on? I hope so, because I sure did. Maybe all of them. If you don't know if there's some you need to work on, ask your spouse. Or a close friend if you don't have a spouse. Or even, even, even more difficult, ask your children. See what they say. I hope, you, I hope you take time to evaluate yourself. Self-evaluation is necessary. And, and, and let the Spirit show you and then let the Spirit determine how to change you and work on it with you. Because we need to improve as believers in Christ. So as we prepare for our pastoral prayer time, our church needs spiritual leaders. We have some, we need more. And with these qualities consistently exercised in their lives, that's what we need, Okay. So I want us to pray for this, that leaders will emerge. Because guess what? It's God's will. Because it's in here. We're not asking for something, maybe hoping to get it. It's God's will. So let's ask in confidence that he hears us and that he will answer according to his will. So we're going to take a time of prayer. If you want to come to the front and pray on the steps, I'd love for you to do that. We're going to take a few minutes and I'll close us out. Let's pray.